Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. part two of this interview with brother Adam Wood. He is a faithful missionary in a difficult place to minister. I hope you have enjoyed getting to know him through this podcast. Hope you'll take some time to pray for him and become more familiar with his ministry. Thank you for taking the time to listen to these. Please pass them on to anyone that you think would benefit from these conversations. I hope they are a blessing and an encouragement. Let's get started. You told us a little bit about how you met your wife. Interestingly enough, you met your your senior year at Tabernacle. And how did you two come to understand that you know this is this is what you should do? That you should get married and and begin to build a life together. Well, a lot of the circumstances, it was obvious that God brought us you know two separate paths that He intended on us to meet at at Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. You know, miraculous uh, things in my life and things in her life as well. She, she, my wife got saved, came, came from a religious, kind of a semi-religious home, and she got saved in November of the previous year in 1998. Okay. And so, but she had the opportunity to go to Tabernacle because her mom was a teacher. Uh, so she decided to go to, go to Tabernacle for her last year. And so we met and in our high school, just to be frank about it, it was a Christian high school, 20 something students in the senior class. So it's not a big school. Um, right. but very few of them were interested at all in following God. Sure. But my wife and I were, and that drew us together. Uh, so we, you know, different kids in the school would, you know, would mock us. And, you know, and of course, everybody saved, you know, in a Christian yeah. school. You know, everybody <laughs> saved. Yeah. But they would mock us and they would make fun and they would, you know, and at that time it seemed like a big deal, you know, as a teenager. But Right. So it drew us to one another, and so we got we we became friends, close friends, and, and we encouraged each other in spiritual spiritual things. And eventually, I, I don't know how else to say it, but we were in class together, and and I looked over at her one day, and it was just like the Lord said in my heart, "You're going to marry her." And <laughs> I, I don't. I've I actually don't put a whole lot of stock in those kind of experiences, but I can't deny right. that I th- I thought that, and I, I'm sure I. I'm sure my face went flush and 
and all that. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, but it wasn't long after that that we, uh, we actually started dating and, uh, you know, involved like romantically as far as that goes and became more than friends right. anyway. And then, right. and then I told her, I, I believe God wanted me to marry her and I'm not proposing. And, and uh, she said, well, I, bl- I believe God wants me to marry a preacher. <laughs> and I, <Uh-oh. laughs> and which I was preaching some that, then as well, but, but she didn't okay. specify exactly who. So it was kind of, kind of awkward, but um, right. But anyway, uh, we actually got engaged once the Lord settled, you know, that we were, uh, that, that the Lord settled in her heart that he wanted her to marry me. Yeah. Uh, that was during high school. So we actually got engaged while we were in high school. And wow. uh, that's unusual, I know, because I was, I was only 18 and she was only 18. But as far as that goes, the course of our life had been set at that point. Right. We were, you know, right. she intended with all our heart to follow God. I did too. We were both, I guess you could say, mature, com- at least compared to the people around us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and that with the you know the parental influence was not was not that strong in either of our families. So there wasn't a whole lot of guidance as far as that goes. So so yeah, we engaged March thirty first of uh, on, let's see two thousand and. Wow. Uh, so that's that's just a couple of months before I went to the Marine Corps. Wow. Now, how in the world from South Carolina did Cambodia become a thing? <laughs> and how did you know that that's where the Lord wanted you to go? How, how did you get introduced to <clears throat> Cambodia? How, how did that become a burden in your heart? And, and you know, just tell us a little bit about that. So after we got married, uh, of course, I was starting to go to Bible college and the Lord is just, I mean, uh, we're at our home church, Choice Hills. You know, this is where we where we went to church. And um, our church would have missions conferences. And missions was a, was a significant part of our church. You know, mm-hmm. we'd have a lot mm-hmm. of missionaries in and stuff. And so, um, so, so we, we, my wife and I together started to have a, a burden to, you know, thinking about what we would do after Bible college was over. And so we started praying about it. And basically our prayer was this, Lord, send, please send us to a place that the gospel is needed. Okay, so with that in mind, we asked God to send us to a place like that. And with that in mind, you know, we had a burden. I especially had a burden for South Florida because my my family members were in South Florida. And I saw what was a, you know, what I thought was a need for the gospel in South Florida. and. Mm-hmm. So we considered that, you know, maybe the Lord would have us go start a church somewhere in South Florida. We're talking like, you know, uh, Broward County, South, you know, Palm yeah. Beach, South. Right. So we prayed about that, but we just, our prayer was, God, send us to a place where the gospel is needed. And that was, this would have been our second year of Bible college. So in April of 2002, our church had a missions conference. And so that's the context. The prayer was the context, was the preparation of our heart for what I'm right. about to tell you. Right. And I don't think what I'm about to tell you in April of 02 would have happened had our heart not been prepared through prayer for, for God's, you know, in other words, there's a, a certain kind of blank check. Uh, sure. What do you want us to do, God? We want to do your will. So, April 2002 comes around. Our church has its annual missions conference. And uh, so the preacher comes in. He was a preacher that worked with, uh, he was kind of a, 
he was a man who worked with various kind of national preachers, uh, and he would he would help sponsor national pastors and things to come to the U.S. to raise support. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he had traveled extensively, uh, as you can imagine, and he had um, traveled throughout Southeast Asia. And when he was preaching, he mentioned several countries in Southeast Asia that needed missionaries. And he said, right. you know, he said, you know, Burma needs missionaries and Vietnam needs missionaries and Cambodia needs missionaries. And when he said Cambodia needs missionaries, it was just like the Lord said, that's the place. That's what you've been praying about. <laughs> Amen. And so I went to the altar after the, after the service was over. And I said, God, if you want us to go to Cambodia, we'll go to Cambodia. And so my wife is in the nursery during this time. And uh, so, so after the service, you know, they, during the service, I, I told the pastor, I said, I believe God wants us to go to Cambodia. And so my wife comes out of the service to find out that we're going to Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like I said, it was, that's, it is, it is comical, but, but in truth, it was, you know, we had already prepared for that, for that. Sure. It was just sure. a matter of where. Right. Um, so I finished Bible college. And so we prepared. Uh, we prepared to go to Cambodia. We took a survey trip during college in uh, 2000, July 2003, and visited mm-hmm. a missionary there and got a lot of information. And then, uh, and then after college, a couple years after college is when we really started. Let's see, about a year after college is when we really started raising support and then uh, getting ready to go to Cambodia. So, how long have you two been there now? And then, give us some background on what it's like to to minister to the Cambodian people. They, they've been through a lot and, and that country has probably, you know, in, in world history, just one of the, the, the roughest historical backgrounds that, that uh, you could imagine if you can tell just a little bit about that. And then, and then, you know, we can probably combine the next two questions together. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it's like ministering there. Give us a little background and historical background for for what these people have gone through, and then maybe go into how the, you know how how it has shaped their culture and how that that ha- hinders you or helps you, and and then and then we'll go from there and and see how how much of this we want to develop. So, we went to Cambodia to, to stay in uh, November of two thousand eight. So it's been 11, 11 or this year will be 12 years um, uh, since we first went uh, to live in Cambodia. And first couple of years, we, we worked with the missionary that we had visited in 2003. So he allowed us to work mm-hmm. with him. He's still there. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as uh, Cambodia, I, the first missionaries arrived in Cambodia. They came from Vietnam back then. Vietnam was a communist. It was under French control. And so they got the, the missionaries with the Christian Missionary Alliance got permission from the from the authorities. I'm not sure if they were Catholic authorities or uh, secular authorities, but they got permission from the authorities to go into Cambodia, which was also part of French Indochina. Okay. Um, so that would have been in the 20s, 1920s. And that's okay. really the start of modern missions in Cambodia. So, but the the Cambodian people from that time, ministering, spreading the gospel in Cambodia, up to this present day, except for a very brief period, from what I can tell, except for a very brief period in the 70s, it mm-hmm. appears that the, the, the ministering the gospel in Cambodia is difficult. Um, sure. 
I know that Cambodia is, if you listen to the stories, uh, there's a, you can get a sense that maybe <clears throat> that Cambodia is an easy mission field where mm-hmm. lots of people are getting saved and that kind of thing. And I think what is, I'll get into that in a minute, but, but in truth, ministering the gospel sincerely and genuinely and mm-hmm. in a way that has the long term in view is not easy. Right. Um, Buddhism and it's Cambodian, Cambodia's Buddhist, this Theravada Buddhist, which is a, 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 one of the two forms of Buddhism. And okay. the Cambodian Buddhism is mixed with uh, animism, spiritism. Okay. And so, so if you, you think of it, they, they call it uh, the Buddhist. The Buddhist part would be the high religion, and then you have the low religion, which is the, the high religion refers to the visible religion that's going to have the temples and the ceremonies and the holidays and that kind of thing. The low religion refers to what the people believe on a day-to-day basis and how they actually deal with life, right. like when you're sick and that kind of thing. Um, so those two things are different. So in the, the religious scenes, if you, the landscape, you know, you see Buddhist pagodas. Uh, we, you know, right. we might call them a temple. They're right. everywhere. Um, every village has one or two. And so they're everywhere. And, but on the, on, the, on the day-to-day side, which, of course, we know Christianity, biblical Christianity is not about buildings and holidays. We know this. Right. Christianity right. is about serving God and being faithful to God every day. So sure. Christianity deals, if you had to compare the two, tr- biblical Christianity deals more with the day-to-day faith of people, right? The day-to-day life, what they do, what they don't do, what they believe, what they don't believe, right. that kind of thing. So right. it is set on a collision course with the most dear, near and dear parts of the <laughs> faith of every yeah, <laughs> but you yeah. know what? This is true of every mission field. This is true yeah. of Christianity is on a collision course with what they believe. Whether it's Abs- whether absolutely. you're in a Catholic country where it has lots of big cathedrals and whatever, or here, like in Cambodia, where you have a you have a, this what we what I call what is called low religion, which is the animistic, mm-hmm. superstitious kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And let me explain a little bit more about that because that is directly relates to ministering to Cambodian people. Okay. What I mean by animism is animism is is essentially that it means that the things in nature are animated. That is, they're they're affected by spiritual forces. Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what that means in practice is things don't happen for for no reason. Um, you get sick, there's, there's a problem with karma. There's a problem with spirits. There's a problem with ancestors. Right. And right, right. there are witch doctors. There are fortune tellers who, who, who live and exist and make their living on telling people what they need to do to absolve whatever is causing these things. Now, is that, do they refer to them there as witch doctors? Yeah. Yeah. In essence, yeah, that they would refer to them as that. That, wow. It doesn't have the, the necessarily the negative connotation that it has in English, but but yeah, they're 
they're fortune tellers, astrologers, you know, tarot okay. card readers, all that, you know. Yeah. I mean, some some of them in, it involves direct uh, satanic possession, um, you know, telling people's future, all of that. But it's it's interwoven with Buddhism. It is well tightly woven. But the part of the part the part of the the difficulty with ministering to the Cambodian people is the part of of their faith system that is the high religion that is the visible part mm-hmm. is is pride so sure so they don't want to become a christian because cambodia is buddhist that's right, the high religion right. that's the high yeah. religion so that's the way it's viewed but on the so that's one one uh, hindrance but on the other side on the day to day side christianity deals mostly with the day to day stuff not just sure. church services on Sunday and holidays or whatever. It deals with what you do when you're sick. What does the sickness come from? Mm-hmm. Are you going to go to to burn incense or give an offering to this ancestor or to this to this local spirit or that kind of thing? That's what right. it deals with, and that's where they're the real the real clash. So for the the major religion, that's that's a pride issue. But with this, there is there is straight up fear, straight up fear. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it reverberates through the family. So the result is that the Cambodian families are, they persecute their, their family members, uh, that believe in Christ and follow Christ because. To what extent is it, does it become physical or is it mostly, you know, they're, they're kind of excommunicated or, or to what extent are they persecuted? Um, general, most of the time it is, it's, you know, it's, it can be as something as simple as giving them the cold shoulder. Sure. It can be losing income or opportunities. There are times when people mm-hmm. are, uh, you know, for instance, their parents will, you know, cut them off from the inheritance. Uh, mm-hmm. people that we've worked with have had that very thing happen and just, they're, they're just done wrong as far as that goes. Um, sure. uh, and it rarely, but it does occur. There's physical violence against people uh, that believe in Christ, and usually right. it comes it comes down to the family is afraid that if this if this believer continues to do what they do and not participate in the other things that they're expected to participate in, that evil will come mm-hmm. upon the family, and so fear motivates a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. and okay, it, it's a very real. Uh, people we work with, for instance, people we work with are, you know, they're they're afraid. They're just they're right. Put, they're afraid it's to come not, to church. It's for, not simply a, a a prejudice against this. They actually believe that some spiritual interaction may happen to cause evil to come upon them as a result. Yes, yes, and um, they do believe it. It's not. I'm not just saying. It's not like walking under a ladder or breaking a mirror. It's right. They literally believe that evil wow. will come upon them and. And so when the Christians maintains their steadfastness with God, you can understand that puts them directly in the crosshairs of, the, in other words, you're the cause of this and that mm-hmm. and this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, for those reasons, the pride and then the, the you know, the, the very real kind of day-to-day Christian life kind of stuff, for those reasons, Cambodian people... Christianity has kind of developed a stigma, kind of a negative stigma 
Um, but, but then, and this goes directly into your next question. So there's basically two kinds. So you have, you have Christianity in Cambodia, Cambodian Christians who are the real deal, true blue. They believe in Jesus with all their heart. And then you have the people that are just there that are just in it for what they can get. Right. Right. Both exist simultaneously in Cambodia. And the Cambodian okay. people assume that when someone becomes a, quote, Christian, it's for the latter. They're just trying to get what they can get. And they're fine <laughs> yeah. with that. And I told you, I just told you that the, a lot of the persecution, almost all the persecution, in my experience at least, comes from the family. Well, right. so imagine you're a Cambodian family and you have a son or daughter or a brother, sister, whatever, that has become a, quote, Christian, but you know that they, because they become a, quote, Christian, they, they now have a pipeline to all kind of foreign aid, all kind of religious, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. the, Mor- the Mormons, the Mormons, they're all over Cambodia and the Mormons sure. are, you know, if you become a, a, a baptized member of the Mormon church, you have opportunities to get all kind of financial help. Uh, there's a wow. running joke among among our close friends in Cambodia that, you know, you can almost pick out who has been, who, what people have been influenced by the Mormons, because you'll go to this shack, you know, in the middle of this, you know, village and they sh- they don't have anything. I mean, they, they got termites eating their house and, you know, it's it, <laughs> terrible situation yeah. and they'll have a refrigerator and, <laughs> and it's, it's totally, they'll have this like nice Samsung refrigerator and you're like, where'd that come from? And, you know, the Mormons gave it to them. Because someone in the wow. family joined the Mormon church, became a, a member in good standing, and that opened up yeah. the pipeline for this kind of thing. And the family knows yeah. that. And so do you think that family is going to be, you know, if they're, especially if they're already poor, do you think they're going to be, uh, they're going to persecute this person? No, no, no. <laughs> they're not going to persecute this person. They're going to, they're going to let it slide because that's a right. means whereby they can receive a benefit. So, right. And the truth is, whether this person goes along, a lot of times people like that, whether they're, you know, whether they're in the Mormons or whatever, a lot of times they will still participate in all of the cultural, you know, idolatrous practices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sometimes yeah. they won't, but even if they don't, it's okay because, you know, we can make an exception for this one person because of the benefit sure. we're receiving. Well, in, the, in their minds, that that if if it would bring evil upon them, likewise the material wealth must also be because of of the good aspects of their religious beliefs as well, right? Yep, yep. And then you have the flip, <laughs> and then you have the flip side, which is where we are. You wow. have people in the same family, and you know, to, for lack of a better term, Johnny has believed in Christ with all of his heart. What's Johnny doing? Uh-huh. His whole family sees that he's not, he's not getting, you know, we're not dropping off bags of rice or buying him a refrigerator. You know, he, right. and they, they start to realize, you know, at first, everybody thinks that. At first, mm-hmm. everybody thinks that that's why they're, they become a Christian. Wow. But then Johnny starts to witness to his family and starts to tell them that they need to believe in Jesus. And then Johnny, uh, the family starts to realize that Johnny's not getting anything. And they'll, they'll say it plainly. They'll say, you, oh, you go to that church? What do they give you to go? I mean, oh, it's just unabashed. Well, what are you getting to go there? Even strangers. Right. Strangers last right. Uh No shame involved in that at all. And when Johnny says, no, I really believe in, in Jesus. 
I believe in Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I'm not getting anything to go. I, I believe. That's why I go. I believe in Christ. Wow. And that is when the persecution starts because That's they see problem. they see he really does believe this. And so they say things like, you know, you're abandoning your your religion, you're abandoning, you're you're betraying your your nation even because in the Cambodian mindset, it's not like America. In the Cambodian mindset, to be Cambodian is to be Buddhist. They're, sure, they're not. They're they're inseparable. Wow. So, um, it's not like there's there's freedom of religion in Cambodia, but I'm talking about in the family, in the culture, to be a Khmer, a person with Khmer blood, which is their ethnic group, is to mm-hmm. be Buddhist. And so, mm-hmm. it's not like in America where you're a, you're an American, but you acknowledge you know, Americans made of a lot of different cultures ethnicity specifically sure sure. and you know there'll be indians and there'll be sheiks and there'll be you know there'll be people from arab countries and south american countries and they all come in you know even in greenville you know we have a supporting church that's you know that's made up of people from latin america they speak spanish but they're all christians you know not catholic so they're in america it's not like that but in cambodia it is and so there's that additional factor so there's a strong all of these things I'm saying because I'm trying to 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 illustrate. Sure. And I'm not. Sure. I want you to know I'm not overstating it. I'm not dramatizing right. it. I'm telling you the yeah. straight truth about it. That these right. things make the ministering to Cambodia. It can make it difficult, and it even depends on where you are in the country. So some parts of Cambodia are more familiar with foreigners. And okay. are more open to foreigners than right. uh, than other parts. And I think the part of the Cambodia I'm in is a little more closed to foreigners. Okay. And, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. So, as far as that goes, generally, uh, Cambodian people, when you first meet them, almost all of them will be very friendly. They're very hospitable. Mm-hmm. But we know that our relationships with people can't stay like that. They can't stay superficial. Sure. And right. and so when you start getting down to the nitty gritty of who Jesus is and the truth, um, that's they don't they don't general, Cambodians are very rarely get hostile with people like me because I'm a foreigner mm-hmm. and I'm white, mm-hmm. and they they highly most of the time they highly regard foreigners and white people sometimes mm-hmm. sincerely and sometimes because they see us as a means to an end. But sure, um, sure. But but generally speaking, they're friendly with me, so uh, so they're, they're, they they'll listen to me for a time, and then once they and if they're not interested, they'll lose you know they'll lose interest pretty quick. And once right, they re- realize right. once they realize that, especially that I can I can understand everything they're saying, and they understand everything I'm saying, and there's there's no cute novelty right. with talking to a white guy who's speaking right. Khmer. It's not a novelty anymore that, you know, he really believes in Jesus and he wants me sure. to believe in Jesus. <laughs> it loses its novelty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not giving up on this. <laughs> so, now, uh, American college students have become enamorated with socialism and communism. Those ideologies, very religious ideologies, were devastating in Cambodia. How has that shaped the nation, and where where do they stand with that today? Like I said, Cambodia in the, in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, 
was was already kind of a difficult place for the reasons I just mentioned. What happened is right. uh, during the time of the Khmer Rouge, which was from 1975 to 1979, April 1975 to, to January 1979, um, Cambodia was just obliterated. It obliterated itself and mm-hmm. the, through communism. Right. So when 1979 began and, and the Khmer Rouge were driven out of control, um, basically, you had a country that was absolute and destitute poverty. Uh, just, mm-hmm. I mean, as bad as any place like in Africa, you know, you think of the whole Sierra Leone, places mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. that are just, I mean, abject poverty. That was Cambodia throughout the 80s and into the 90s. Wow. So, in the, so, so in the 80s, Cambodia was, in, was controlled by Vietnam and in the early part of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Well, as that trend, you know, and that was straight up communism, like Marxist. So, um, even though Cambodia was doing better, kind of financially, it started to get better, but it was still under communism, under the control of Vietnam. And so, when they started to have uh, open and free elections in the mid '90s, that's when the missionaries started to arrive, re mm-hmm. re arrive, because of course they had to leave, you know, during the Khmer Rouge, but. So they started to arrive, and so what did they? They arrived. They 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 met with a country that is just in abject poverty. Even in the capital city, most streets were dirt. I mean, it was just abject poverty, and people were poor. So ev- it was so easy to get people to listen about the gospel. You know, there was a a a, a great deal of openness. And missionary good friends of mine who have been there since 1996 or seven, they. They have described that. And I've seen some of it even in the early 2000s when I visited. That was still to the case to some degree. Mm-hmm. Well, Cambodia has developed extremely rapidly. And it's mm-hmm. especially this capital city has, has quickly become kind of a metropolis. And people have money. And they're right. getting more and more and they're getting more prosperous. And with that is coming right. Kind of the way they were in the early days, when Cambodia was more prosperous. Right. Uh, so, so it's kind of changing, and everybody sure. I know in Cambodia is saying the same thing. It's 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 getting harder, not easier, as far as as far as people being open to you to the gospel. It used to be right. easier than it is now. Now, when you're dealing with that people in abject poverty, you know there is an issue with their motives. Sure. So, but. You know, and that's something you have to work through. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe having people that, because they're in abject, abject poverty, are willing to listen to you is better than having people right. that have money that sure, sure don't give you the time of day. So that's kind of the way it is now. But in the in the as far as the Khmer Rouge and Cambodians would tell you this themselves, that the time period of the Khmer Rouge changed the society of Cambodia such that Cambodian people became extremely um, how do you put it? Just dog eat dog, uh, mm. stepping on other people, you know, to, to, to make it, you know, very little regard for, mm-hmm. uh, for other people being willing to do almost anything to other people to get ahead. And sure. it, it just became a, a society in which you had to do what you had to do to survive, no matter who it hurt. And what you had wow. to do to do it. So, um, but that's I think that's changing a little bit. 
uh, as they kind of adopt a more Western uh, moral system, you know, uh, with rights and liberty and that kind of thing as they try to move. So so is there a particular country that's influencing them right now more than than another? You know, is is it mostly like England or is it is it American or or just the West in general? China. China. China has a great deal of influence over the government of Cambodia. Now, as far as okay, I don't think China has much influence over the culture of Cambodia. Right, uh, right. Western culture, I think Cambodians like more. But okay. China is dumping a lot of money in Cambodia, and so gotcha. politically, it's going in the direction of China. Although, uh, as far as a philosophy, I think in some ways it's more you know, more favorable toward the West. And so those, those two kind of clash sometimes. Yeah. So very interesting. Well, from your perspective, in in terms of preaching the gospel in Cambodia, what is the need for laborers right now? So um, there are a lot of places in Cambodia that, You'd be hard pressed to go anywhere in Cambodia, even remote places that have no church at all. They have no, no missionary, no nothing. Sure. But the question is going to be the quality of those churches. The question is going to be the sincerity of the faith of those people. For instance, um, Koreans, not all, but a a lot of Koreans in Cambodia, missionaries from Korea, Mm -hmm. have a philosophy of kind of sweeping into a village, uh, dumping a bunch of money into the village to build a church, um, building, I mean a church building, and then inviting everyone to come, giving stuff out, taking a bunch of pictures, and then flying away. (laughs) And what's left is an empty church building. And people that don't know the gospel, but there might be a pastor there with a few people, you know, several people that meet. And it might be that there's a pastor there who's maintaining his his small crowd through Mm -hmm. material benefits that he's providing them. Mm -hmm. That's very, very common. Um, and so, to me, as a as a missionary in Cambodia, I look at that and I'm just I try to maintain a healthy level of skepticism right. um, because like I said, there's, you know, you go to almost, you know, practically every village, not every village, but I mean, there's a lot of villages in Cambodia that have a church, you know, but um, the quality of the faith of the people in the church is in serious question um, wow. in a lot of places, a lot yeah. of places. And, yeah. Whether people truly understand the gospel is in serious question. So, uh, so uh, there's a, a friend, a, a good close friend of mine in Cambodia. He's in the easternmost province of Cambodia. He uh, he's in a town that's not far from Vietnam, and he is he is the only missionary in that town. He's the only. I, there's no church in that town. Far as, as far as I know, as far as I remember, there's no church in that town. He's trying to, to share the gospel. So he's the only one. Um, very difficult place. Um, wow. But 
But I just, I hasten to say there is a caveat to that. There are many places in Cambodia that, that, that have churches, but there's still nevertheless a great need for, for a certain kind of laborer. Sure. Not just someone who's going to go and um, kind of stir up, uh, you know, stir up the dust and create a frenzy, but right. someone who through principled, a principled understanding of the scripture and a, a well-rounded, you know, kind of philosophical view of ministry based on the scripture is going to try to labor in Cambodia and share the gospel in a way that it is, it can be permanent in a way that it right. can be sustained where, uh, where the, where the idea is not to get a crowd, but to get people who truly believe in Christ and want to follow God. And, and I'm, I'm glad to say there are a number of people, a number of missionaries and Cambodian pastors that I know personally. And there's more, more than just what I know uh, sure. that are that. There are, that are that that are you know their faith is genuine and they they love God they're serving God but there's still a great need for that for quality laborers I know we're all sinful you know and you know we're not we're all low quality products anyway but right but as far as people <laughs> have a you know a principled uh, under uh, clear understanding of Scripture and the the key word is pragmatic that aren't so pragmatic that are going to hold fast to the scriptural examples and principles that you find you find in in the Bible and are going to minister sure. in that way, because yeah. that that's the way it's going to last, and that's the way well, you're, you're, it's going to be make make for sincere believers and followers of the Lord. Sure, and your time there has been from from, from as I've kind of followed you and and tried to keep up with uh, with what you're doing there. It's really been very slow going. And it requires someone to be patient and to really take the time with people and not not rush into something kind of like you're explaining here. Yeah, I don't know of any way. I don't know of any missionary uh, that I know personally that lives in Cambodia and ministers in Cambodia. I don't know any missionary that would say that it can in any way be fast. It's not fast. It's slow. Right. And yeah. to... I mean, if, if you're if you're in it just for the numbers, well, you can do whatever you're going to do whatever you need to do to get the numbers. But sure, if you're in it to produce quality people who know what they believe and why they believe it, and have a devotion to God, uh, it's it's going to take time. And mm. um, there's there's no other way around it. Like it or not, that's what it is. And sure, that's the kind of that's the kind of labors that are necessary. And that, that has to be labors with those goals in mind. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, our final question before we we get to the heretic questions. <laughs> <laughs> How does your daily life reflect your faith in Jesus Christ? You know, when you sent me this uh, outline, um, this was the only question that I didn't know how to answer. Sure. Um. Because, this is my favorite question. <laughs> of course. And it's very it's a very probing question and, and that's a good thing. Sure. I like it. Sure. Um Amen. I would like to think that my daily life reflects my faith every day without interruption. I would mm-hmm. like to think that my my faith in Christ and by and you know by extension Christ himself uh 
directs my life and what I do every single day. I don't know that that's sure. true. I want it to be true. Right. Um, but, um, so I can only, I, I, I would say it, you know, my course of life on a, on a larger scale on, on a, on a broader scale, what I'm doing with my life, uh, my desire to walk with God, to please God, which is a desire to come from God himself. Um, is something that 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 is reflected every day you know what i choose to do and not do what i choose to how i choose to set my priorities is a direct reflection of my faith in christ but i would kind of i want to if if i can kind of turn this question on its head a little bit because because really when i was thinking about it I, i was asking myself well what what does my life reflect this verse in one one verse has been very uh, big blessing to me. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, as you asked, what in what way? That's Philippians one six. If you you asked in what way does my life day life reflect my faith? I'll turn it on, on its head by saying that I really believe that whatever is happening in my life that is giving glory to God, that is in God's direction, <laughs> that is on the, the path and, uh, that He wants, His will, is a direct result of His work in me. And Amen. because I look at my faith, and so often I feel like my faith is weak and sometimes obscure of course not faith in you know as far as salvation and that kind of thing sure sure but my faith in you know so many things and practical things it feels so weak and sometimes that's why i said at the beginning it you know i sometimes i wonder how often or or whether my faith is reflected in my daily life or to what degree it is Mm -hmm. but one thing i am sure of that as god has said that he has begun a good work in me and in all of us that know him. And he is the one that is going to perform it. And that gives me, that gives me a great deal of confidence that, mm-hmm. um, that my life is going to reflect my faith in Christ. And it's going to reflect his work in me more mm-hmm. and more and more and more. And that's going to be, you know, where I go from here. It's going to be how I choose to serve him. It's going to be my daily walk with him. It's going to be how I treat my wife and my kids, what my priorities sure. are, what I do with my money, how I, how I speak, how I grow. It's going to be all those things. But the, I think the key factor is that it is God performing it. And even when we don't, even when, when I fail, and my faith is weak. God is still performing it, and yeah. that gives me that gives me great comfort because I know it's always going to go up. You know, it's going up from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Does that? Very I good. hope that answers that question before I become a hero. Yeah, no, that, that that's that's great, brother. That's a that's a blessing. I, you know, since you put a lot of thought into that, and I, I greatly appreciate that. I think it'll be a big help big help to a lot of people. And that's a that's a that's a very interesting 
perspective and way to approach it is, you know, regardless of how my daily life reflects my faith in Jesus Christ, he's still faithful and he's still going to do the work that he promised to do regardless of my, my, regardless of whether I'm living on cloud nine and doing what I'm supposed to be doing or whether I'm down in the dumps today and not quite where I'm supposed to be. He's still faithful and doing what he said he was going to do. Well, the truth of the matter is for me personally, I am, I tend to be kind of a melancholy kind of person. And uh, I question myself a lot. And I don't, I don't live on cloud nine. That's just, I don't. So when God says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and these preachers talk like that. And they, you know, they, <laughs> you know, yeah. they act like it comes easy and maybe it does, but it doesn't, it doesn't come easy to me all the time. And sure. so that's why I say, you know, I have, <laughs> I have questions about how, how much my faith is reflected, but I take right. comfort in the fact that, God is, is going to, yeah, God is going to make my faith be reflected. That's what he's doing. And it's not, it's not all up to me. And so, uh, so I don't always live on cloud nine. So <laughs> I take, I take comfort <laughs> that maybe I'm not in control of this thing all, all, all together. <laughs> sure. Sure. Praise so. the Lord. All right. Well, this next section is a little more lighthearted. And, um, like I said, it's, it's a series of comparison and contrast questions it's things people like to argue about and what it just, it just allows people to see, do, do I agree with him on this idea or that idea or this aspect of life or that aspect of life? And, and um, it's just meant to be a little more lighthearted and fun. So, and then, like I said, that people can find out if they think you're a heretic now, or if they, yep. <laughs> if they think you're actually a, a godly person because you like Coke rather than Pepsi mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or vice versa. So, so I'll I'll call the two out, and the first one that pops into your mind, you just you just shout it out, and and we'll roll through the list. And feel free to explain if you need to. So it, it's 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 all right as well. Okay. First one is call or text. Why would you ever call someone if you can text them? <laughs> <laughs> if you can Book, text them, or, text them. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can't text them, then call them. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I you know that that it, it depending on who you're talking to though. Oh, some people can't stand for you to text them, and it's it's so funny to get the difference. I think in it's a generational thing. I think the older generation likes calling better, but I, just uh, I can't stand to be on the phone. <laughs> I can't either. I can't either. So you're not a heretic yet. Keep going. No, we'll not, see. No, not yet. Not yet. Book, book or ebook? Um, we're gonna do uh, ebook probably. Uh, you just failed. <laughs> Sorry. Well, hey, I have to. I have to have this caveat. Remember, being a missionary, do you know how yeah. heavy books are? You can't just take yeah, books. Over, you know, you read it one time, you throw it away, and you know when you're trying to yeah. read the Federalist Papers, I mean, you got to have like. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- this has been a real struggle in my life because I, I am I so. I, I love. I love the authenticity. I want the book in my hand, but. You know, yeah, we're, we we just sold everything we have and and went on deputation, and and now we're finishing up deputation, about to move across the world, and and we're like like you said, you're just limited on space, and you got to consider how much of a priority books are going to be, and and they're important to me, but do I want to spend, <laughs> do I want to carry all that weight around and spend thousands and thousands of dollars? It's just well, anyways, I, I'll redeem myself a little bit as I get older. I feel like I, I'm liking printed books better, but yeah. Anyway. 
Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Totally. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Yeah. German Shepherd dogs. German Shepherd. So we we, we used to breed Dobermans, so Ah. they're they're very closely related. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Android or iOS? What is Android again? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the number one selling phone operating system in the world. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) iOS. My family are all iOS adherents. Yeah. Well, maybe one day you get to buy phones again when those phones from China are, are able. To uh, well, hey, I, I nobody, <laughs> nobody can say that I haven't that I I've never tried Android. I've I've had Android. And I know all about Android. <laughs> all right, sunrise or sunset? Uh, probably sunrise. Although I'm not so okay. much a morning person, but I like it better. Okay, laundry or dishes? Dishes. Really? Oh yes. Uh, so morning or, mornings or nights? Used to be nights, but I, I think I'm liking mornings better. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Fruits or vegetables? Veggies. Ugh, I don't like fruit. <laughs> really? Cambodia has a lot That's... of different kinds of fruit, and I can eat it. I, it's not like I did have a distaste for it, but I'd really eat Brussels sprouts and broccoli any day of the week. Oh, I, li- I like both, so I, I'm torn. Uh, sweet or salty? Salty, always. Really, my wife is salty. Right, people, she, I, she, I, sometimes I look at people that like they have like, ooh, can you imagine this coconut cake? And I'm like, <laughs> give me a uh, bag of Doritos. Give me, <laughs> give me a bag of Doritos. Yeah, that's my wife as well. Mountains or oceans? Mountains, definitely. Uh, now, I typically I usually caveat this next one by telling people to be careful how to answer, but I really can't say that to you because mm-hmm. no. well well for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Africa or Asia? Asia. And <laughs> the real test the real test for in my in my view, the real test uh for a, a real true blue missionary is a missionary to Africa, not Asia. Uh I look at the well, holes in Sierra Leone and I'm like, they are superstars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, they, I always say that they they are. When I read their prayer letters, it's like reading, you know, William Carey or David Livingston. <laughs> yeah, yep. Hats off, uh, brother. And sister Holt. Uh, city or country? Um, this is going to be a little bit of both. I like I like okay. the I like the clean air of the city and the 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 landscape and the I like it. Like I said, I'm melancholy. I, I like to be alone. So I like the country, but I don't like to be so far away that I have to drive a half hour to go to the store. I don't like that at all. So right, a little bit right. of both. And I like good coffee too. And that's usually only found in the city. Yeah. 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 I think I could handle either, but, but I, I, I just don't like, I don't like having my neighbors right next to me. I do want some space. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, serious or sarcastic? This is the one. That, <laughs> this is the one that uh, that I pr- I can probably make enemies over. So definitely, <laughs> definitely serious more than sarcastic. Um, okay, like it's one of my one of my greatest pet peeves is sarcasm, and it's not because I don't really? appreciate sarcasm, but so many times sarca- sarcasm is disrespectful, and. Good, clean, lighthearted sarcasm is fine. I do it too, but sure, but sure. sarcasm, especially that's veiled in religion, 
and is just disrespectful and dishonoring to other people. I just, that gets on my last nerve. So yeah. I would say serious rather okay. than sarcastic. Amen. Well, brother, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me and yes, um, really enjoy, you know, reading and learning about what's going on in Cambodia and, and pray the Lord gets you back there as soon as possible. And, and uh, it, it's an honor to have this opportunity to sit down with you and do this. Yes, sir. Thank you for the, for the opportunity. Pray it's a blessing to every, everybody that listens. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.